0: top of the inning to you welcome to the irish baseball podcast brought to you by the irish american baseball society if you love baseball and if you love ireland stay tuned for a discussion of all things irish baseball hello and welcome to episode 45 of the irish baseball podcast i'm your host rick becker in today's episode i will continue to be interviewed by brian mccartan we started our conversation two weeks ago in episode 44 Brian talked with me about my recent pilgrimage on Ireland's National Famine Way to raise money and awareness in the fight against domestic violence. Today, we will continue to talk about my hike across Ireland, but we will also start talking about Brian's passion, music. I've had a 25-year-long career in radio, and Brian is a fixture of the New York Irish music scene. In fact, expect to hear Brian interviewing artists from that New York Irish music scene on an upcoming project he's doing with the Irish American Baseball Society. As I mentioned, my pilgrimage was to raise money for survivors of domestic violence. I teamed up with the charity CASA of Pinellas County here in the St. Petersburg area of Florida. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month so I'm keeping my fundraiser going until the end of this month. My link is run directly through CASA, so there are no processing fees or middlemen. Every dollar you donate goes directly to CASA, so they can help survivors of abuse. The link is casapinellas.org walkwithrick That's casapinella dot org Please consider donating $20 in honor of my efforts. Now we're going to pick things up where we left off in the last episode. Brian, I'm ready for another question.
1: It's got to be therapeutic for yourself to get through this walk and kind of go, you know, you must be th- I don't know and I don't want to delve into what you were thinking because I can't imagine what you were thinking, but when you're in the middle of this walk and you know it's a it's a it's a hell of a lot of mileage you're putting on there, you know, and at some points it's got to be challenging, but to know that like you have this cause and that's the reason that you're doing it. And it's being something that affects you so much personally. Did you ever find like it affecting you? Like you were, were you thinking about everything that you went through as a kid during this walk and, and how it affected you as an adult? I
0: actually think a little bit of the opposite. I wasn't thinking about what happened and I wasn't thinking about the negatives. I was thinking about getting out of it and getting over it and, how we are a lot stronger than we ever think. Anybody who has, I've also been a runner and I've done marathons and half marathons. And there was a point in my life where I never would have thought I could have done that. And there was a point in my life where I would have thought there's no way I'll ever walk across an entire country with a 40 pound hiking pack on my back. Like, We can do so much, and I think it almost inspired me, and it made me think about all those people who are getting out of those situations. Like, the money we're raising for Casa Pinellas County, Florida, those are already women and children who have gotten out of the situation. They have already done something incredibly brave, incredibly hard, and we can do things that we do not think are possible. And that's more what I was thinking about than delving into all of those emotions. Because yes, when you're on the trail, you've got nothing to do but think. And it could have gone into some dark places, but it really didn't. And I just kept going and I kept putting one foot in front of the other. And I kept thinking about all of those people who were in much worse situations. Can't take two months off to go to another country and raise money for a charity who don't have that kind of money, who don't have that kind of stable life. My wife, I don't want to say, let me do this, but let's be honest. My wife let me do this. So, (laughs) so it was one of those things that made me more optimistic. And when I was in those moments where there's nothing in front of you, but a dirt trail and nothing behind you but a dirt trail and you're just putting one foot in front of the other. What I was thinking about was mostly positive the entire time.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's uh you know, I'm a music guy. That's kind of my thing as I'm a music guy. There's always a, a a Beatles line that always sticks with me, and I, I kinda of always try to keep it in mind whenever things get kinda of daunting and things get kind of hard and at home, I always kinda of think of the whole take a sad song and make it better. Take a sad song, and make it better. You know, like and that's exactly what you did. You took a, a really bad situation that you dealt with your entire life and still deal with i'm sure now and then finding a way to make it into a positive and that's it's a respectable thing and and uh you know kudos to you for even you know for doing this it's a great it's a great cause and it sounds like it was a great time
0: last year as i was gearing up for this i was a volunteer blog writer for a completely separate domestic violence organization and i wrote a blog about the music that i was going to put on my playlist
1: was one of the questions I was going to ask you too.
0: (laughs) Great minds definitely think alike. So I had done this blog about the songs that I was going to put on my playlist specifically related to domestic violence. And there were some heavy ones like No Son of Mine from Genesis and Luca from Suzanne Vega. I think those are songs that a lot of people sort of associate with domestic violence but there are a lot of songs that are about abuse that sort of fly under the radar and one of them for me was Pearl Jam's Rearview Mirror and I had that one going a lot and that song is about putting the abuse in the rearview mirror that's about driving away that's about finding your own freedom it's not about wallowing in what happened It is about getting out of the situation, and I always think about the line that I'm not about to give thanks or apologize. Like, I'm going to get out of this situation, and I know I didn't do anything wrong, and I know I didn't deserve it, and I am just going to look from my rearview mirror as I keep moving forward. And that was the perfect song to have on my playlist for this walk.
1: I got to spend September 11th at Madison Square Garden with Pearl Jam, and the set closer for before the encore was Rearview Mirror. On, on top of not to get into like a concert review, but I've seen Pearl Jam uh th- tons of times 20 uh, something times at this point, you know. Just a side
0: note, it's 21 for me and five Eddie solo, so
1: yeah, so you're you're with you're on the same page as I am, and uh, I've seen hundreds of concerts, and, and obviously having a lot of them be Pearl Jam shows. It was special. And it was, uh, you know, being nine eleven and being in New York City and being in Madison Square Garden was something, by the way, if you asked me 21 years ago, you're going to be, you know, at when when nine eleven was happening, if you were going to tell me that I'd be in with 30,000 people in Madison Square Garden, I go, I'm not going there on nine eleven ever. But I will tell you, and that was something that was brought up around uh, the section that I was sitting in. But getting into that uh, rearview mirror, that was the set closer before they went into an encore that uh, you can go look it up. It was out of control. The show itself, uh, if you've ever, have you, I don't know if you've ever been to Madison Square Garden before for a concert, but if you have, if you're in the right place at the right time and the right moment, the building moves. There was during uh, Do the Evolution, you actually felt the building dancing with you, and it was it was pretty incredible. So it was pretty apropos you brought up Rearview Mirror.
0: I was at Madison Square Garden once, and that was back in 2010 to see Pearl Jam, so.
1: I was there. (laughs) I was on that run too. So that's cool, yeah. And one of the questions I was going to ask you was like, obviously, you know, you're walking and if I'm a guy, if I go out to walk or I do anything, I go to the grocery store, I have your earbuds in and I'm always listening to something. So besides the, the Suzanne Vega stuff and the Pearl Jam stuff, what else was on the playlist? What else was keeping you going? Cause I imagine you can't have too many downer songs when you're trying to get through 650 miles.
0: Definitely. I know that I tried to fill it up with a lot of Irish stuff, not just, you know, traditional Irish music, but sure. even Sinead O'Connor and the Cranberries and Hozier and you too. Like I was like, I'm going to load this up with Steve Earle's Galway girl, you know, like I'm putting all that stuff on this playlist because I'm here. I don't know when I'm going to get back next. And I just want to be a part of being in Ireland. And some of these artists are some of my favorite. I don't know if I gravitate towards Irish artists because there's something about our ears that just connect with that kind of music. Sure. Or if I specifically seek it out because I am Irish, but You know, listening to all those kind of artists was definitely a big part of it. I had the Garth Brooks song, Ireland, that I was just waiting for it to come on at the perfect moment. And of course, as playlists do, they always come on on the perfect moment. But I've lived in Pennsylvania, so I have bands like Live and uh, this really cool local band called the Jelly Bricks and Fuel and some artists from there. And then we moved to Arizona, so of course... It is legally required if you've ever lived in Arizona to have the gin blossoms on every playlist. Yeah. So I have a pretty good mix, but it's definitely a lot of that '90s alternative music because I'm 42. I know you're around my age, so you know what we kind of gravitate to as far as music.
1: <laughs> it was in your, it was in your wheelhouse. I was going to get into music with you if you don't mind my talking a little music before we talk some baseball, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, grew up in the Pennsylvania area outside of Philly. I did. You're talking about, like, the local bands out there. You're talking about, like, Fuel and and those bands that were huge in the 90s. Were there any... What was... Who was your band, though? Like, who was your band? Starting when I was 16 years old in Harrisburg,
0: Pennsylvania, I started working for an alternative radio station that then turned into an active rock radio station when sort of the alternative revival waned a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, But... Fuel was our local band. The guys from Fuel moved to Harrisburg from Tennessee because we were so close to New York, so close to Baltimore, Washington, so close to Philly that they could make these night trips. But we also had a thriving music scene post-live signing with a national label. So we followed Fuel as they went from this band who played originals at eight o'clock at night and then covers at 10 o'clock at night at this club Wanda's that was a dive on the West shore of Harrisburg to them becoming the band that was on MTV and going on these huge national tours and the show before they went to record their first major label album was at this legendary club in Lancaster, Pennsylvania called chameleon club It's, you know, pour out a little liquor there. It's no longer in existence anymore, (laughs) but they played this show at Chameleon Club. And afterwards, because I worked in radio, we got to go backstage a little bit. And I'm not going to say which member of the band asked me if I wanted a drink. And I was 17 years old and they're like, whoa, no, sorry, please don't get us. You know, so those stories are always going to be really close to my heart. Recently, for an internet radio station, I got to interview Carl from Fuel. And after all of these years of following them and to get to do this interview, it was really awesome. So while they're not necessarily my kind of music, like they're a more mainstream rock artist and I'm more in that alternative vein, but just going through them becoming huge and being a part of it almost because we were the radio station that kind of broke them sure that was a big deal
1: that era had a lot of cool bands too fuel was one of those ones that kind of came out and you know they wrote great songs like at the end of the day that's what makes a great band great songs make great bands you can even great songs make really crappy bands to be honest with you you know like even bands that aren't that great they got a good song you're like oh, that's pretty good though you know fuel had um a, you know the they had a lot of big hits with shimmer being i guess was like the big you know the big one, and I remember that being one, like, as a musician, I remember that being the one that everybody's like, we gotta do that song. Everybody loves that song. You know who loves that song? Girls love that song. We Girls need to do love that song. That song.
0: <laughs> girls love, love song. to watch Brett sing that song, too. Yeah,
1: girls love to watch anyone sing that song, man. <laughs> that's a good one.
0: Our radio station actually played a version of Shimmer off their demo that we had do. in yeah. regular rotation, and that's how that was part of the process of them getting signed. So I had this, it was called porcelain. It had seven songs on it or something. And we were playing off of that. I once sold my copy for $50, I think, but I Uh probably should have held on to it anyway. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a big deal. And it was really cool when that song was going everywhere. And I was like, we were playing that. It was the one time I got to be the hip guy.
1: Don't forget in that era, too, that was a big era of the beginning of that, you know, kind of like the tail end of that MTV Unplugged thing, you know, that stripped down versions. And Howard Stern broke a lot of, look, look at uh, Incubus, you know, the the version of Pardon Me that everybody was listening to at that same time period, you know, was from the Howard Stern show. It was an acoustic version, you know, Howard used to have bands come in, they would play acoustic and that would be the thing. And remember the local radio station here that Howard's flagship, it was K-Rock, you know, ninety 92.3 K-Rock was the big rock alternative station. And I remember that being the version we would hear was that acoustic version of Pardon Me, that acoustic version of Everlong, the Foo Fighters, you know, thing with just Dave, just Dave Grohl singing it, you know, and I guess that might've been the thing that kind of broke a band like Fuel. They weren't, yeah, they were rocking and they were rocking hard, but it kind of had some soul to it too. And it had a little something going to it. I think people like that. There
0: was a recording studio in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania called The Green Room And we had a series on our radio station called In the Green Room. And we would have these artists come in and play an acoustic set in the green room. And we would run it on a Sunday night or something. Just when they were in town, if they would do it.
1: Wasn't there like a CD sampler or something that came out? Like a live in the green room? Yes, there was a live
0: in the green room CD sampler. Yeah, I remember that. that.
1: (laughs) That's correct. I just had a weird core memory just pop up. I remember that being in my big gigantic CD binder that I almost killed myself in 14 car accidents trying to find a CD. in, you know, one of those things, it was alive. it was like a sampler CD. It was like, you know, maybe like 10, 10 songs are from our, you know, different artists. That's crazy.
0: And the show that we had in the green room when fuel did their version, Brett scallions, who was the lead singer at the time, just for a sound check did a version of Daniel by Elton John. And right. we ended up spinning it. And it ended up becoming a huge hit. But I did want to say one other thing about that radio experience is my first full-time job ever, a couple months after high school, was listen to Rick Becker before Howard on this particular radio station. I was... Rick Becker before Howard because I was doing overnights there and it was really cool experience.
1: You were saying that version of Daniel, I don't know if you uh, know the last year there was like an Elton John last year or the year before there was an Elton John tribute album uh, released that version of Daniel's on that record. I should have just looked it up while we're sitting here of a fuel doing daniel which is really great so he just was messing around and did
0: that acoustic version for us and then after that they went and recorded a professional version of it as well so it's not sure. our version but yeah it was really cool how we just were like we're gonna start playing that because it's so good
1: yeah that elton john like tribute album is really one of those things that kind of came up in my spotify playlist one time and i was like who is singing Daniel? I was like, this is fuel. I was like, what is going on? This is, this is some random stuff here, but it was still really cool. So obviously fuel being your local band. Let's get it. I, one thing I wanted, I ask everybody, I asked everybody in casual conversation, the same thing. Who was your first concert? My first concert
0: was at the electric factory in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. What it a great was, venue. It is what a such a good venue. venue. Oh yeah. Such a great place to see your first show, too. You're like, oh, these concerts are going to be dangerous and they're going to be a little dirty and gritty. Like it was definitely a great place.
1: Sounds like Philly. (laughs) A little dangerous, a little gritty.
0: And I saw Everclear, Hagfish and Menthol. And Everclear was my first show. And now I've seen them so many times that. Like, I can't even count how many times I've seen them.
1: Another great band with great songs. Absolutely. All all comes down to great songs. All comes down to great songs. Everclear is success. You know, to me, I always thought they were a good band, but they wrote really great songs. Like, really, really great songs.
0: Yeah, not the most musically talented band in the world. No offense. Like, great guys in that band, but they just were song after song after song. Sparkle and Fade, there is not a bad song on that record.
1: They were a hit factory, man. They put out song after song. and They put out hits. You know, I play music locally. I have for my whole life. And for the majority of the time, I've, I've been caught in this, like, Irish music scene. That's kind of been my my thing. Years ago, we started kind of, like, bringing other music into, like, these, like, Irish gigs, you know, these Irish-American gigs. And then we were bringing, like, we were doing Irish songs, but then we were kind of like, hey, let's play a Zeppelin cover. Hey, let's play a Rolling Stone song. And we started doing some of, like, that 90s stuff. And I tell you, it kills because we're playing... Hey, Jealousy by the Jim Blossoms with a fiddle player and an accordion player, you know, and and people are like, what is going on? And I got to tell you, it's kind of been like my thing, kind of been my niche thing for all these years. And at this point, I don't ever want to stop doing it like that, you know, it's kind of been cool, but we do we do a couple of Everclear songs and stuff like that once in a while. It's a, it's a cool little thing. See. Again, it goes back to good songs. Good songs transcend everything at the end of the day.
0: I had mentioned living in Arizona and becoming a really huge Jim Blossoms fan when I was out there because it's almost required. Right. Next year, my wife and I are celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary, and we're thinking about doing a vow renewal. And I said, I want in my vows to have from Hey Jealousy the line, you can trust me not to think and not to sleep around. If you don't expect too much from me, you might not be let down. Be let down. It's in my vows. <laughs> it's going in the vows, I swear.
1: And that's another band. Like The Jim Blossoms were able just to put out hit after hit after hit. They were just able to write great, great songs. I think that's what sustained them for so long. I just think uh, music just changed. I think they were in a weird realm of like that 93, 94 to like 96, 97 music music started changing then you know music was getting heavier um i don't know if you saw the woodstock uh 99 documentary that was on netflix recently that was really really good more importantly um,
0: i saw woodstock 99 because i was there so right so
1: you know yourself but getting into the in the doc they turn they talk about the change in music that had happened in those two three years prior to 99 and i don't think a band like the Jim blossoms had a chance to really go any further than that they locally toured for a while I will tell you that I saw the Gym Blossoms at Playland Amusement Park in Rye, New York. And while it was great, it was kind of sad. And and I liked the band a lot and I love their songs. But I was kinda like kinda like, mm, this is not great. <laughs> you know, Collective Soul was the other one we saw there, which was another one that wrote great songs, but they just couldn't hold up to the times, you know? And I think that happens all over. It happens with a lot of great seventies bands and eighties bands. It's the same thing.
0: I know that we were a little luckier with the Jim Blossoms because they were local to Arizona. They got to play a little bit bigger venues when they would come back, but usually yeah. it was the casino on the reservation, which is where yeah. they were playing. Like that's just yeah, yeah, the venue for a Jim Blossom show. But you know, Hit after hit, you're absolutely correct. They just knew how to write pop songs, and they played them a little bit more like rock songs.
1: Yeah, and and they had uh, lyrically, they were just really advanced songs. They were very good lyrically, um, and I, it, it, there's a lot to be said. It goes, we were about, you know, we've been talking about this whole time about how great a song is. You know, a song makes everything. You know, the the Beatles musically, you know, were real studio musicians, you know, they were putting layer on layer on layer and had unlimited time to make these records. But if they weren't writing great songs, I don't think anybody really would have cared about the Beatles to begin with, you know, like they just would have been the earlier day in sync for that day, you know, and it would have been that, you know, it would have just died there. But it's interesting to see how bands evolve like that. And, you know, some bands make it through and some bands don't. Um, Toad the Wet Sprockets, another one like I always get into. I love them. Back in like 05, my wife's brother, you know, had gotten his concert tickets. He, he had had a hook with concert tickets. He's like, hey, he's remember that band um, Five for Fighting? Remember they had that one like hit, you know, it was a ter- terrible band, by the way. I'll say it right here. You guys are terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's so funny that Five for
0: Fighting has a song on that album called Michael Jordan, and literally the song is just like... I love Michael Jordan. Like, that's not yeah. the hook, but it basically could be the hook. Basically,
1: is the hook, yeah. So, this Five for Fighting is playing in Irving Plaza in New York City, you know, legendary, you know, Greenwich Village institution, one of the greatest places to see a live show. On the opening thing, there's a guy's name on the end. I don't recognize the guy's name. I'm like, oh, let's go check out the opener. Maybe the opener will be good. And this guy's up there playing, and I'm like, I know these songs. I can't place where I know these songs from. And he's playing one after the other. And I go... This is all Toad the Wet Sprocket songs. Is this the guy from Toad the Wet Sprocket? So it's Glenn Phillips, who is the lead singer and guitar player for Toad the Wet Sprocket, up there doing this acoustic show. I'm not even kidding you. It, I'm the whole place He had the whole place in his hands. The whole place is in his hands, you know. And he goes, he does the encore. You know, Walk on the Ocean. Everybody loves it. He's like, we'll do one more song. What does everybody want to hear? And everybody's yelling like thirty Toad the Wet Sprocket songs. You're like, I forgot about all these songs. Like those guys wrote great songs. Anyway. Glenn Phillips came out to the lobby later and met every single person who was there to see him. And not one of those people was there for five fighting because they were terrible, <laughs> terrible. So that's my five for fighting story. And my Glenn and why nineties uh, bands are the best. Cause Glenn Phillips and who, who I still follow now. And I, if he comes to town, I'm running to go see him because he's great.
0: I'm going to share one final music story here because I think you'll appreciate it as a new Yorker, but Getting back to Everclear. So after Sparkle and Fade, they went back and they were trying to write their follow-up album. And their follow-up album, So Much for the Afterglow, ended up being the one with all the hits. Father of Mine, I Will Buy You a New Life. Like, it was just hit after hit on that album. And I saw him do an acoustic show trying out the songs on that record at the Mercury Lounge in new york city i have I'm not, to imagine that's a venue that you've been to many yeah. many times
1: and that's another one of those like new york city dirty gritty institutions of, of a building it's kind of cleaned up now you know live nation taking a lot of these buildings has made them abide by little things called fire codes and health <laughs> codes now but you know back in the day these places weren't so clean and, and, and mercury lounge is one of those ones where at any moment you could see a really terrible avant-garde you know accordion uh folk band banging on a garbage can and then right after that you'd have a 90s singer songwriter go up there and and blow your face away and be like what is going you know it was one of those places on on a tuesday night you could check out uh two dogs barking on a snare drum and then after that you'd have this really incredible punk band go up there and blow your mind away you know it was was a cool place like that those places are few and far between now i don't know how many places are you know i don't get out to too many shows anymore you know so uh, i can only imagine what the uh, music scene is like now. mercury lounge what a great building what a great job
0: i'm rick becker i want to thank brian mccarton for taking over the interviewing duties for these past two episodes it's been so important for me to get this fundraising information in front of as many people as possible so brian i really appreciate everything you've done for me Domestic Violence Awareness Month is happening now, so please consider donating to Casa of Pinellas County, Florida at casapanellas.org/walkwithrick/. Also get ready to hear a lot more from Brian McCartin in association with the Irish American Baseball Society. This has been episode 45 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.